welcome freshman has more brotherly advice. Well, perfect man, you told me to get involved. Yeah, but I meant go out for the cheerleading squad, not the football team. Nickelodeon's welcome freshman, where there's always more to the story. I'm just looking out for you, sis. If he calls me Squirt, I'll hit him. You know what I mean, Squirt? Now welcome freshman welcome sisters. Welcomes juniors. Wow. Welcome freshman is high school. Saturday at 5, 4 central on Nickelodeon. Welcome to Splat Attack, a 90s podcast honoring the slime-filled past. I'm your held-back freshman, Alex. I'm your graduating survival senior, Brett. And wow, seated in this new role but still within this podcast feels a bit strange. Like the first day of school, it's still the same building. You still see the same people, but new classrooms and new teachers really make things feel familiar, yet odd at the same time. <laughs> Don't I know it. Uh, we've been sharing the spotlight since we first began this journey together since August of 2021. And now the crew has been working diligently, officially building our own Splat Attack Studios. But until it's ready, we need to get used to our new roles, new space, and new hosts. Indeed. Yeah, you're, you're the big kahuna now of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we've kind of role reversed and I just kind of steadily faded back a little bit, kind of like Homer Simpson into the shrubbery. <laughs> but uh, but we have mentioned during our season five overview that I will be stepping away from the podcast officially after this episode. So in, in a way, it truly does feel like a graduation, you know, for this occasion. I spent so much time with these people, sharing stories, shedding a few tears, developing a few friendships, and uh, now we'll be splitting ways. However, we will be both continuing our individual passions and providing entertainment in our own unique ways. As they say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. But you are, Brett. Uh, for this episode, knowing what's going on within the crew of Splat Attack, we wanted to select a few episodes that reflect what's going on here, as well as what happens in the show and the episodes that we're talking about and behind the scenes of one very, very special show. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> for our season six premiere, we are looking at a special double episode review of Things Change and Year's End from Welcome Freshman, which is, I believe, the first episode and the last episode for the second half of the series. So it'd be interesting to compare and contrast the two. Um, I mean, we also covered Welcome Freshman back in our top five Welcome Freshmen's episode back in episode 48, season four of our podcast, as well as way back in episode three when we compared them to uh, 15 with Robin Ross and Christopher mm -hmm. Logan. So it, it's it's great to really cover the show again. I mean, you and I are both very passionate about it, so we're we're just excited to dive in once more. Speaking of freshmen, though, who's joining us for the episode, Alex? The bell for first period just rang. Well, unfortunately, all of our freshmen have been shoved into this locker, so let me open it up, and I'm going to let them out. Uh, joining <laughs> us for this episode, we have Arian Ash. Hello, Arian. Hey, guys. Uh, we've got uh, our dear friend Brock Bradley. What's up, man? Hey, Brad and Alex. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Awesome. And uh, for the first time on the podcast, which I'm really excited for, we have Jocelyn Steiner. How are you? I'm so great and so honored to be here. Uh, I'm, we're glad to have you. And uh, also new to the podcast, we have Nick Caruso. What's up, buddy? Yo, what's happening? 
And we've got to, we've got to, you can't have welcome freshman and not have Rick Galloway. What's up, buddy? Hello. <laughs> are, are, are you guys, <laughs> you guys been hiding from Mr. Lippman so he doesn't sign your yearbook? Is that why you were all in the <laughs> locker? Yes. <laughs> I don't want the dream duty again. <laughs> Fair enough. Last time he, uh, he didn't sign, he just put a stamp on it. Stamp. Best wishes. Mr. As, as long as we weren't canoodling, that's the important thing, right? I mean, that was really Manny's mom on no canoodling. 100. <laughs> well, before we get into the episodes themselves, uh, we do have some questions for each of you individually. And uh, Jocelyn had actually told me uh, through email whenever I, we were planning this whole thing that she had actually found the Welcome Freshman episode, top five episodes, and was watching it, and then was inspired to want to do a reunion. And uh, and and here we are for this one. We'd like to do another episode sometime and get more of them together because yeah, we uh, I'm insatiable. It's never enough. But uh, for you, Jocelyn, what are some of your favorite experiences in working on Welcome Freshman? Oh my goodness, that is a big question. Um, I think honestly, as I as I look back after, and I I don't want to date anyone here, but it's been thirty years, and I have to say, um, the older I've gotten and the more I've had life experiences, it's the people. These people, these people that I'm looking at, these people that I'm being reunited with, for it's been a, it's been a minute, and I'm so grateful. Um, and I, I realize and recognize and appreciate how formative these people were in making me the person that I am today and making me very proud to be the person that I am today. And just funny, talented, kind people embracing life, wanting the best experience out of it. And most of what I remember is honestly like off screen. And, you know, we were chit chatting before this started and like, some of my best memories are at Arian and Aubrey's house, her sister Aubrey and Mama Kay being there and of all of us just hanging out and just being like being able to be my true authentic self and learn and grow and thrive with these people. I, I couldn't trade that for the world. And I also I would also um, apply that to the crew who were also incredibly supportive, amazing, um, uh, affirming, like all of the things that you could possibly hope for. We were so lucky to be a part of this with with everyone and the people that were on the screen and the people off the screen. And I just, uh, I'm, I, I have this immense gratitude that I can't express any more than that. Like, that's where we're at. Uh, Nick. What were some of your highlights working on the show? Like honestly, to be a part of something that is like historically recorded in in you know in television history and to have that under my belt, like to meet everybody that I met and to to experience like there was a lot of really, really talented people on that show, man, that just went went in and out, like Veronica Alessino and like just there were some people that had some major presence. I mean, Danielle Meyer Henry was was uh, I believe she was the uh, bailiff in the in the in the judge episode, and I followed her career because uh, she was a thespian you know, at Dr. Phillips around here, and she ended up becoming like an opera singer extraordinaire and a musical theater maestro. And I I just I met so many amazing people. So it, it and when I got into high school, I had already 
I had enough thespian points to be a thespian just by being on Welcome Freshman. So everybody was just kind of like blown away. Oh my God, it's the Nickelodeon kid. Oh, you know, <laughs> I had to utilize a lot of skills taught to me by uh, inadvertently, not even, not even necessarily deliberately like schooled to me, but like just by, by display and by, by, you know, by witnessing it like Chris and Rick and just the way that they, the way they did things, the way they they absorbed and Jocelyn, the way they absorbed themselves in the, in the scene, it it educated me as to be as to becoming a better actor, and that made my my route as a thespian better, which in turn has made my current career um, pretty solid, you know. And that's the best part for me is to, is to be part of that history and part of that level of of talent. And it's not looked at as that. It's like a lot of people look at it as like some kind of kids show or something. People who don't understand the value of it. And like that's fine. Let, let them think that's whatever. But like I know, I was there. I saw, I saw you know directors that were nasty, awesome that had a perspective for cinematography and for the art of taking something that is supposedly campy per se and making it something magical. Uh, Rick, what were some things that you learned from your time on the show that you carried with you through your career? It all started there, man. Everything really. I didn't know anything until uh, I booked that. You know, I had I'd done some stuff, but that was a that was a life changer. You know, that was my high school, essentially. And then I ended up in production, so it kickstarted everything. So I I, I owe everything I am essentially to that six year process from original. Uh, auditions for the pilot series uh, up through the last episode and then into production behind the scenes for you know uh, all that and some other shows brock what were some of the challenges that you faced during the show um well not have having ever acted before essentially in my life <laughs> we'll start there um uh, and just just like being I think one of the older actors coming in, being introduced as a junior, but being a senior, a true senior in high school um, and being, I think, expected to kind of um, lead by example and be a good role model, but really not being psychologically, emotionally mature enough to take on that role. Um, and, and so being more like, oh, you know, I see these, these other kids that have been on this show for a while and what they're doing. And that's pretty cool. You know, I, I think Chris Loban's really cool. I really look up to him. I got like two years on him, but like, I, he's kind of a star, you know, to me. So, um, just navigating that and like essentially getting plucked out of the, uh, a high school life and and being on a set and just having this this imaginary world um and it's i really feel like we were in a a very specific time in a very specific place of this like orlando wanting to be hollywood situation with in sync coming around and a backstreet boys you know and like this this whole this was going to be Hollywood East mm -hmm. and and you couldn't tell anybody that worked there or any of us anything differently so um I think just navigating navigating that I think was was the biggest challenge and 
you know, being kind of a couple of the new kids, um, uh, Dave and, and um, Jill having essentially been removed from the show and then Arian and Manny and I coming on. And um, that was just, that was just a lot, you know, to say, okay, this is going to be the new trajectory of the show. Um, and yeah, just kind of facing that was, was very, yeah. it's a, it's a, a challenge to baseline off of like all those changes and everybody around you is experiencing changes and it's all new for you. I'd imagine. Right. Like, how do you how are you supposed to walk into that totally uh arian uh, you and i have both spoken before about how passionate we are about teenagers and just want to make sure that they have a good path uh how do you think because i know i know you watched them before uh before this episode recording how well do you think these two episodes that we're looking at today accurately reflect emotions that kids still go through in school today um, so I did watch these two episodes and it, it was really fun to watch them again, of course. And I did notice there were, um, like moments where the sophomores thought they were like a little bit better than the freshmen, even though it's not that big of a difference, but, um, I know teenagers now, I know teenagers that are sophomores that are like, ugh freshman and it's so funny to me that that's like a real thing it is a real thing um mm -hmm. it's like once you become a sophomore you think oh man I was so immature last year you know and um not only that but having an older sibling in in real life that was a couple of years older than me in high school I really thought that you know my sister was so cool and I wanted to be friends with all her friends. So I, I certainly didn't treat her the way Aaron treated Grant, but um, it's true. There's like a, there's like a tension there between the younger ones and the little bit older ones. And then the way they, you know, they want to find a, a romance, you know, in one of the episodes that we watched for this episode, for this um podcast oh sorry for this podcast everyone was trying to find their romantic interest and um that the show did a good job of keeping it really silly really light but also touching on some you know accurate life things that really do happen for these teenagers so I thought they did a really good job of you know bringing all that in yeah I feel like uh just to add it real quick that some of the magic that comes from the earlier 90s uh, TV shows on Nickelodeon is definitely in the relatability, like similar to Salute mm -hmm. Your Shorts or Pete and Pete or even Roundhouse, which is a sketch variety show. They're always put in situations where you feel like, hey, these people are just like me. They understand what I'm going through. And that's why I like coming back week after week to see them again, to see what kind of situations they get into and how they handle problems, because maybe I can learn from them. And, it, and hearing all you guys talk about your experiences on Welcome Freshman definitely brings me back to a time when, you know, I was a very young kid watching this show, not really knowing what's going on with the silly principal and everyone like signing yearbooks and getting into weird hijinks. But I just knew that everyone I saw on screen was just so cool. And I wanted to be like them when I got older. So to be able to have that connection with a different age group and then grow up to be that age group and remember those things when I'm going through high school, that's just something truly special that goes beyond, you know, the simple framework of just filming a, a kid's TV show at Nickelodeon Studios. So I definitely commend Aww. you all for being able to uh, lend your talents to those kinds of effects for your viewers. Well, we have 
<laughs> we got a lot of episode to get through. So, uh, Brett, do you want to read one episode and I'll read the other one? I was exactly thinking that. Well, it's it's your last episode here, so I will let you pick whichever one you want to do. Oh, tough <laughs> choice. Flip, flip a coin. <laughs> I know I would do that. You know me too well. <laughs> uh, let's go if things change. Okay, right, take it away. So our episode info for our first episode titled Things Change is season three, episode one. Its air date is January 2nd, 1993. It was directed by Michael Berry and written by Tim Hill. And the story is as follows. We open the episode with Kevin privately checking out his shaving kit inside of his locker, only to have Alex question him over receiving hormones over summer break. Kevin then responds to Alex, asking how her mustache is coming in. Together, the two begin to list off the freshmen that are not returning to school. Merv is in college with the unfortunate scenario of being a freshman all over again. Tara is spending a year inside of a biosphere, meanwhile. Walter hobbles around the hallway to greet them with his left leg in a cast. After having a bungee cord accident and landing on his head, which is perfectly fine, by the way, the gurney he was on fell out of the back of the ambulance, resulting in his broken leg. Mr. Lipman and Janitor McBroom enter. The vice principal is unhappy with the condition of the school. McBroom explains that many of the issues that are remaining are due to budget cuts. Mr. Lipman attempts to take care of the water damage on the ceiling tile by poking it with the stick end of a mop, only to push out the ceiling tile and have it land on his face. While passing by with the new sophomores, Mr. Lipman explains that Walter is held back and is considered a freshman for a second year. So going in line with our questions of the opening scene, what was it like coming onto a show with a cast that was already grown close? I know we kind of touched upon it a little bit before, but if anyone wants to add to that, you're free to. It was super intimidating. <laughs> I, I actually, I when I auditioned, I auditioned with Jocelyn at one, like a, one of the callbacks. And it was just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like, I, I can't only really imagine, bro. Super nervous. I have to tell you, do you know, do you want to know? I'm going to be very honest here. I'm going to put it all out there. Do you want to know what my memory was? I was like, this guy's hot. He can definitely play my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so your character thought that too. Keeping 30 years ago, people. 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, keeping it real. I was like, yup, he can be my boyfriend. The, the but, feeling was mutual. I, I got to um, say. So oh, that's so why sweet. it worked. In all seriousness, though, even in that reading, I could tell, like, you, and I, this is the wrong word, and I can't think of a better word. I don't, I don't mean this pejoratively, but innocent is the word coming up, and it, it's, it, it's not that you were innocent, it's that you were just real. You were, like, lovely, and, like, I was authentic. like, this guy, authentic, thank you, perfect word, authentic. You are authentic, and you were like, this seems like a cool thing, and I was like, you will fit in perfectly with this group of people. I really felt that. Yeah. Jocelyn, do you remember the parking lot? Oh, the parking <laughs> lot? Wait, that was an episode, oh. though. That was a different episode. That was a different episode. It was, and I do remember because I watched the uh, the blooper reel recently, and I was like, um, Poopsie, yeah. why don't we go out to the parking lot? Parking lot. <laughs> yeah. I believe it's called the parking lot. I don't know, lot. Alex. Mm, I don't know. Uh, for for the rest of you, uh, how challenging was it to go from the short sketch format to long sitcom format? Oh, it it broke it broke my world because I loved that. That was 
the uh, I don't know, you know, it's very SNL like, like you got to do something very different. It was kind of intimidating to know that we were moving into uh, a, a somatic, uh, mm. you know. I didn't, yeah, I didn't think much about it. I, I think it was cool. I was like, oh, now we're like, now we're like a real sitcom. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> it was like, I mean, I now see the value of and the humor of the sketch comedy. And now I have such great appreciation for like the Mr. History episodes, the Mortis, the mm -hmm. Tortoise episode, like all of that stuff. The costumes that we got to dress up in and the parts that we got to play, that was fun. I remember that. And like sitting around the I mall, wasn't but, involved in that, but I remember watching it. But the theme, getting into the actual like storyline and there's a lot of critics out there. I mean, there it's, it's interesting because you'll see like people were like, some more people are supportive of it and others are not. They're like, no, it should have stayed a sketch comedy. Um, I think for me, it was an opportunity. And I think for Rick and Chris, it was like an opportunity to do something different. And for me, it was like, oh, this is fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm into this. I'm 16. What do I care? Like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt a little extra weight because I think uh, I was the only one that still held the title freshman mm -hmm. and i'm a very emotional person so losing uh cast members for me was very difficult mm -hmm. um, adding them was not an issue yeah. uh, but losing them was a real hit i did not like that at all the last question we got for this section then we'll move on to the next uh we often see that the freshman and mr lipman do not get along but what was it like working least. well yes what was it like working with mike speller Dude, Mike is absolute magic. Ma Mike is magic. There is nothing wrong with him ever in any way, shape, or form. When he says, when he fucks up, it's 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 noble. Like, you don't understand. Mike is amazing. Always was. Sweetest guy. Talented as all hell. Funny as I mean, just the best. And was always so personable, so respectful, humble, intelligent. I mean... Everything about Mike was regal, man. But like, the, I ain't got this. No, nobody can say nothing about Mike. He's the best. He's the best. And a true honor. <laughs> Nick said it for sure. I mean, Mike uh, was a wonderful mentor to us. And I, I think of what a weight on his shoulders to have children, teenagers, at, at, at his. I mean, I mean, he was just perfect. He was the what you would have wanted for a bunch of teenagers to kind of have as the the centerpiece for how to. So we, we anywhere we didn't know how to do things, we had a really good mentor to look at. And even just you know being around him, he's such a great actor, and he's probably twenty times funnier off camera than he was on camera. And he's just, he's a brilliant mind and, and a wonderful human being. And I'm really glad to have gotten to know him. Moving on to the next scene of the episode. <laughs> so later during lunch period, Alex, Kevin, and Gwen remark on the changes this year. Alex states how being a sophomore doesn't feel any different from being a freshman. Kevin is just happy to be away from all those stupid freshmen. Walter attempts to sit at their table while using his typical gross humor. The students don't want his immature antics, which reduces him to sit at the freshman table with new students, Aaron, Manny, Fred, and Darlene. The new freshman listen to Walter share his story about how vicious the vice principal is. The students watch in amusement as Mr. Lippman and McBroom attempt to fix the cafeteria door, only to have the door hit Mr. Lippman in the face. The bald barbarian takes control of the cafeteria and demands silence. 
as he attempts to strike the students with fear, only to have Walter loudly belch as Mr. Lippman leaves. Walter explains the only reason Mr. Lippman is so grouchy is because of his precious school is falling apart. Aaron retorts of their helplessness in the situation and sarcastically suggests building a new one. This sparks Walter's creativity and decides to repair the items in school. Meanwhile, Alex is explaining her enthusiasm for being a sophomore due to the new junior in school, Grant Kelly. Grant approaches Alex to introduce himself. He is also raising funds for repairs in the school and invites Alex to meet with him after school to help. Enamored with Grant and his big pecs, she fantasizes about a topless Grant hammering a spike into the ground while she gives him some water. Cue dreamlike music as well. Kevin breaks her from the trance and doesn't understand why she likes Grant so much just because of his big chest. Alex defends that Kevin wouldn't understand what she and Grant have in common. Kevin quips back that what they have in common is certainly not a big chest. Offended, she knocks over Kevin's books, which get the attention of Miss Topaz, who thinks Kevin intentionally was mistreating his books. She expected better behavior from a sophomore. Kevin seems to be quite taken by Miss Topaz, but sulks at the idea that his teacher doesn't like him. So getting back to our second little break for questions, have you ever had or know someone that you've had a crush on as a teacher before? If so, were you ever called out by your peers because of it? I will say there was one teacher uh, that was in my school. It was a, a junior high and she was the only attractive teacher there and every guy knew it and they were all over her and she was not having it. She She was just not having it. But I thought that was kind of funny. I didn't actually have her as a teacher, but I knew who she was because everyone was talking about her. But there was so much affection that was put towards her that everyone else didn't really banter back like, oh, yeah, Ew, you like a teacher. No, they, everyone is like, yeah, no, she's hot. But that was, yeah, uh, yeah. And I think she only taught one year. And I thought, I think, I don't know if it was because, she, I, I don't know. I don't know why. She wasn't there the next year. She was not asked back. I have two instances where that happened in my school system. Uh, one in third grade uh, was my third grade teacher at the time. Uh, I don't know if I should name drop or not, but. Uh, yeah, what was her name? Th th this this might be an awkward confrontation. Um, her name was Jessica Gower, and she is my third grade like elementary school teacher. Okay, well, and I, I don't know any of my teacher's first names, so I'm impressed with that because I only I, know them by their last True love. That's true puppy love. Uh, you, you dug. Short, short story for that. Yeah, she was a blonde haired young lady in her early to mid 20s. And I remember there was a lot of kids like picking on me around that grade more than any other grade in elementary school uh, on the bus on the playground wherever. And oftentimes I'd like stay inside just so that I wouldn't be bothered. Uh, sometimes even helping the lunch ladies like put away chairs just to get through the period um, to avoid other kids who were harassing me. And I remember one time there was this one kid who was also on my little league team was like really giving me a hard time uh, when we were lining up for the buses uh, that he f somehow found out that I liked my third grade teacher and was like starting to like tell everyone. But, um, she, you know, she came right out there, stopped him in his tracks and pretty much sent him to the principal's office and uh, kind of had a talk with me saying that she was flattered and you don't have to worry about, you know, you feeling afraid of, you know, being here at school because I'll do what I can to protect you. 
with my teacher powers. So pretty much that was like the turning point for me where I just, I was overcome with some form of emotional love for this teacher because she was there to save me from you yeah. know, people how, who were picking on me. How could you not and, love that? That's yeah, very yeah. admirable. I, I never forgot her. And there are even these days where um, in our school system, we were in regional school district 13 in Connecticut. Uh, we had these summer camp programs called 13 camps. And I remember she did like the field trip one where we went to different places around the state. And I remember I was the first person who signed up for that and the first person to show up on the first day of that so that I could sit next to her and just get to know her better. And it was a very, very interesting and special relationship that we had. And, uh, you know, every so often she just comes to mind of someone who I really appreciated, who, who was there for me when I needed them, when it mm. seemed like no one else was. That's admirable. I think Chris or yeah, when, uh, Kevin was hot for teacher. It's a little different, I think. Time machine, maybe. <laughs> but uh, real quick, the second one, uh, she was my eighth grade English teacher. And it was similar to Alex's story where like, you can feel in the classroom, every single boy just hitting puberty when she was trying to write a sentence on the chalkboard and like asking her <laughs> if she has a boyfriend so that they could, you know, take her to the school dance. And she'd often <laughs> say, oh, my French boyfriend's coming to dance with me i appreciate the offer but i never actually wow. saw him there so i wonder if he was real or not or just to get rid of him but the only thing i really got of that interaction with miss weigold is uh karen weigold actually is that uh she really liked the smashing pumpkins and we bonded over that band together like i discovered that band uh that band's music because of her and we listened to some tracks together when she was helping me with certain homework assignments after school all right, since you're name dropping first names, I'm going to just drop in a name here of a beloved teacher, not responsive to the question at all, but I loved her, her name, because I was like, do I, can I think of a single teacher that I loved their, that I loved that I know their first name? And the only person I can think of was my eighth and ninth grade English teacher, Irma Garbarino. And I do remember that her name was Irma. And I loved her so much that this is giving a little, a little bit away when I, I continue to stay in touch with her when I joined the Peace Corps as an English teacher in Uzbekistan, as Brock brought up earlier. And I used to write her letters about teaching English and how much she influenced me. And I didn't have like a romantic crush on her, but I definitely was inspired by her. And she has since passed away, rest her soul. Aww. But Irma Garbarino mm. was like the light of 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 my life in junior high and uh yeah and that was like she's the only teacher i can think of who i know the first name of and i'm really glad i know her first name <laughs> uh the uh other question we have for this segment is what was it like working with veronica who was playing miss topez and i also think she played the the counselor in the first two seasons she also played um in the mortis the tortoise she played mortis's girlfriend uh i can't remember the name but yes yeah, yeah she played a lot of characters She's also Tim's partner. Yeah, yeah. They're together. Yeah. They've been together for a long, 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 long time. Their photos together these days are just like, oh. She's delightful. That's all I'll say. I'll, yeah. Brett can oh, say yeah. more, she's, but she's, she's very, very awesome. Delightful. Awesome lady. All right, Brett, what's the next part? Alrighty. As we head back into the episode, in the hallway, Alex is once again lost in thought as Aaron passes by. Aaron questions if Alex is okay. Alex insults Aaron, stating because she is a freshman, she couldn't have any understanding of what it feels like to be in love. Grant enters the hall, and Aaron tricks Alex to go to the bathroom by telling her she has lipstick on her teeth. 
Grant greets Aaron by calling her Squirt and asks her about how she feels about Hawthorne High. Aaron doesn't like the way it smells. Grant once again calls her Squirt, which sparks her to push Grant demanding to be, not be called that nickname. Grant agrees not to do it again. Mind you, he still is calling her Squirt the entire time he's making said promise. As a retort, Aaron marches around him singing his name, perfect man, perfect man. Alex cuts off the marching Aaron and greets Grant. Grant tells Alex not to worry about Squirt and leaves. Alex then drifts into another dream sequence with Grant driving her home in a Jeep Wrangler. Grant, in his dreamy echoey verse and fuzzy filter, asks if it would be uncool to kiss Alex. She then wakes from her daydream, only to realize that she is late for class. Walter and the other freshmen are trying to fix the cafeteria door, meanwhile. Manny feels that he, would, he should be in class, but Walter states this is an attempt to get on Mr. Lippman's good side. Just then, the vice principal shows up, asking why the freshmen aren't in class. Walter begins to explain what they've been doing, only for McBroom to knock down the door the freshmen were working on and collapses onto Mr. Lippman. So this time around for questions, you know, we notice we see physical gags often at Mr. Lippman's expense. He is pretty much comic relief and among the adult characters. Are there any major instances that you can think of where something went hilariously wrong in a scene? The, the parking lot. That was the, that was the <laughs> thing that happened. Uh, there was also a time when we were uh, in a gym scene and um, we were doing sit-ups and it was, you know, they were counting down from five, three, two, and one are silent. And so we're acting and I let a fart out. That was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Um, audible <laughs> oh yeah yeah with like a with a tour going by and they had audio sit-ups dude sit-ups sit-ups seriously sit-ups sit plus the grill <laughs> plus crap can we just say sit-ups the, the most humiliating thing you can imagine and then double it mm, good day it was a good day at work that's a freshman moment right there pretty much yeah <laughs> yeah i let a fart out Anyway, moving on. Anybody else? <laughs> um, when they were when Brett was going over that um, the recap of the next section of this episode, it reminded me that not a blooper, but this was a few minutes ago. Um, but that was like my first real conversational conversation. Sorry, conversational scene rather with Alex, Alex's character, and so I really loved this episode. It was so much fun to watch again because. It was interesting to me how Erin was so like not afraid to talk to a sophomore um, at all. You know, she was just like, you know, are you okay? And who are you? And like, why do you like that guy? Like, she just was totally unafraid to talk to a sophomore. And um, I just, I really liked that. And I, I really liked the the whole exchange between Grant and Erin and how they didn't give it away right away. You're like that they didn't know that you know, the audience doesn't know that they're brother and sister until a few minutes later when Aaron reveals that, you know, and the way they played with that, like, yeah, I've got five of them, you know, I've got, I'm really oh. busy with five brothers, but they didn't say brothers, five, you know, five they, boyfriends. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's what that, Alex assumes. They let yeah. that go. And I thought that was so yeah. cool. And, um, I just really like the way they played that off. But as far as like the, when things went really wrong, uh, Chris Loban, who played Kevin, he would always try to make me mess up. And my friends here, my cast here, they knew that I took it all like super seriously. And I was so scared to mess up. I was so afraid to look stupid. 
I didn't, I, I didn't know how to say perfect man. I was like, well, that's, I don't get it. That's not like a nickname. So I didn't even know how to say it. Like I, they weren't supposed to give you line readings, which is when a director or a, a first AD will tell you exactly how to say a line. Um, or one of your cast members will help you to just be like, just copy this girl because you're not doing this right. Um, <laughs> I, I used to just almost ask for line readings because I didn't understand the joke. Um, but oh yeah, I just remember being so nervous to mess up. I just was so scared that I would get it wrong. And I was so afraid to look dumb in front of all these incredible people and, you know, cast that had already been established and it just was such a big deal to me. I did not want to screw it up, but these boys would always try to make me mess up and they thought it was just the funniest thing. (laughs) And yes, there was one time like, um, instead of, oh my goodness, or there was no way to ad lib, you know, we couldn't ad lib because editing had to be so succinct and you had to do it the exact same way every Mm. single time. It's not like film where you have a little more, or certainly a stage where you have a lot more freedom. But that was my first time ever working on camera. Uh, well, almost my first time ever working on camera. So I just, I wanted to get it right. But oh yeah, these boys always tried to mess me up Ooh, every time. And every time I did, I was so embarrassed. Uh, we have another question here for you all. In these later seasons, we lost the short form sketches. Uh, we touched upon that before a little bit as well. Uh, if you can bring back some of these sketches in the sitcom format, what do you think you would bring back and why? Mr. Mr. History, 100% Mr. History, because um, the fun that we got to have with going back to different periods in time and dressing in different costumes and getting different characters. I have to also say this one cracks me up. Um, The guidance counselor. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys remember that. The actor who played that character. Clickety clack, clickety clack. He was was phenomenal. And I definitely think I had a scene with him where I was going to be an entomologist and Mm -hmm. um but he was amazing and I when I I didn't didn't appreciate him at the time I was not like uh sophisticated enough to appreciate him but as I look back I'm like that guy was brilliant he was brilliant he was so committed and he brought that kind of like um deranged energy that like monty python-esque kind of energy do you got do you deranged and relatable you talked earlier brett about being relatable yes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah clickety clack the sound of the engine barreling at you at a thousand miles an hour just like (laughs) he was friggin' awesome and he was fun too you know he was a good mentor i don't know if he was anywhere near mike but he he was around and he did play a teacher every now and then uh, in Mm -hmm. the first season I don't know, man, because like, honestly, like that is true. And, and again, that is a very, very, that, that does make the show very unique from its peers at the time. All of the other similar shows like Clarissa and like some of the other ones, 15 or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I think also like, if you remember correctly, the episode, uh, People versus Walter in general, the, the reveries that were that were done and the the fantastic uh uh dis- ways they portrayed everybody's uh you know testimony on the stand of what you did to the painting or whatever like there was some bizarre stuff going on with the three witches and then you with the long hair with the motorcycle coming through the hallway yeah. mcbroom was out of his mind his perspective oh, was warped and there yeah there was so much stuff that that was like 
you guys still were able to touch on the Monty Python-esque slapstick nature. Sure. It, it, they just sure. they approached it a little differently, but it was done well. And even with the episode about the the yogurt machine with our lips, that that was an Andromeda strain reference. That that's yeah. a very OG reference, man. You know what I mean? Like they still found a way to to give it that that uh, almost sketch comedy-esque feel, even though it was in 22-minute segments instead of, you know, three well, it was a, it was a story, segments or whatever. The story got told. That was the difference, you know. <laughs> there was some good stuff, man. They, they brought it right. You're right. I, I think I feared that, though. Change is always hard. Hey, things change. Things change. Yep. Speaking of fun and change, let's get right back to the episode. We cross dissolve to Mrs. Topaz's classroom where Kevin attempts to connect with his teacher, but there are too many students around. He asks if there is a time the two can talk more privately, which Miss Topaz says she is free during fifth period. Cross dissolve back to the hallway where Aaron and Grant converse again. The two banter back and forth, revealing to the brother and sister, sharing the last name Kelly, by the way. Aaron shares that Alex is in love with Perfect Man. Grant relishes Alex feels this way. This disgusts and infuriates Aaron, especially since her brother still persists in calling her squirt. Meanwhile, Walter is making another attempt to get on Mr. Littman's good graces by painting the stairs handrail. After completing the task, he and Manny run off to wax the floor. As soon as they exit, Mr. Littman and McBroom enter. The vice principal quickly learns the handrail is covered in blue paint as he puts his hand on it and gets some on the back of his jacket. Back in the cl Miss Topaz's classroom, Kevin enters and begins to tell a tale about being an orphan boy. He begins to weave this intricate story designed to pull at Mrs. Topaz's heartstrings, but she sees right through the act. She openly confronts Kevin on his attraction to her. She begins to shift his attention to girls his own age, while also indicating that she is engaged to be married. Kevin understands and begins to leave but not before asking if Ms. Topaz knows what students have expressed interest in him. So getting back to our questions of these scenes, have you ever had a teacher that taught you a life lesson that you will never forget? And Jocelyn actually touched on this a little bit earlier when she was talking mm -hmm. about uh, the teacher that influenced her. Irma. That's right. I'm so happy you remember her name. <laughs> I had a really great teacher on set, actually. Um, it was so cool to be a real freshman in high school and get that phone call that uh, Friday's your last day because you're going to go work at Nickelodeon. <laughs> and um, so we got to have school in these trailers that were like, you know, just outside the studios and Brock and Chris and Jocelyn and Rick, I, Nick, we were all in there at some point. Uh, we all had like different schedules sometimes. It was weird. I didn't really get it all, but um, I remember this one English teacher that I had on set and I believe his name was Steve Yeager. And I think that's like a, that's another fame. There's a famous Steve Yeager, but this particular Steve Yeager, he like wrote his own book and he was an English teacher. And, you know, I thought I was pretty good at all that stuff. And um, he had me writing these essays and, you know, uh, I thought I was doing such a good job, but boy, he was like, okay, you don't, Mm -mm. you're gonna rewrite this sentence and because I I remember saying something like um you know ex etc or uh or things of that nature you know I, I was throwing words 
away and not just coming up with the words instead. And so he would have me redo and redo. And he took so much time. And because I was his only student that morning, you know, and he really taught me to not just be lazy and think that it's good enough. Mm-hmm. He made me make it exactly what I wanted it to say. And I will never forget that. I now write copy for people and I have to put a lot of thought into the things that I do at work and as a as a songwriter. And I'm not a songwriter professionally. I just mean also as a songwriter. Um, so I I just appreciated that so much. I will never forget that. Like I, dude, I remember that guy. He was a genius. He was the first guy. He was the first guy that ever taught me that anti-disestablishmentarianism was supposedly the longest word. Like that guy. Yeah, he, dude. I had I I was obsessed with the periodic table of elements at the time because I, again I was kind of a super nerd and stuff. And he made me. I remember what my teacher, my eighth grade science teacher, because I was in eighth grade, so I I wasn't even in high school yet. I was in advanced uh, chemical science and my teacher was, I remember he was a Vietnam vet named Mr. Bauer and he hated me. He loved my sister and he hated me. Like, you know what hate is? Anyway, so (laughs) he had me, he had me do all 216 Bohr models for every element on the periodic table. I can still name the entire periodic table in 37 oh. seconds. Um, but but that's just a stupid human trick that I possessed in sixth grade. But this guy, he he's like, your teacher wants you to do 216 Bohr models. And I was like, cool. So I did them in like, it was like four days or something. And I remember Stephen Yeager, man, I'm so glad you remember that. He was such a profound man. He, he was one of these guys that... Like if you ever saw like Dead Poet Society or something like that, or or he was like one of those teachers that was like one of Robin Williams's colleagues. You know what I mean? Like he he was that kind of kind of brain. This guy could have taught you anything. Like he yeah, was he really he awesome. knew stuff. He knew stuff, man. This guy was good work. They lucked out on that because we had a couple of tutors that were. I don't know. I don't even remember. I think Mrs. Punch or something. I don't remember. There, there was some people that just weren't, I mean, they were hired to do what they were supposed to do and they were not good at it. But this guy, I, this guy was solid. I remember him, Arian. I mean, I'm so glad you brought that memory up. I hadn't thought about him in over 30 years. He had, a, he, had a, he had an impact on me, man. Three things. It was called On Location Education. I... It's the only time, true story, I ever got straight A's when I was in high school. The whole time I was in high school was on location education. And it was probably for that very reason, because I could just do it all in my own time. And like, and three, I am just picturing and remembering Chris Loban sleeping on his desk. With sunglasses. He would come in with sunglasses in the morning. Two feet wide. And he was in fetal position like on this desk <laughs> well we still got to uh finish out the last part of, of this episode we got a whole other episode to go through so uh brent why don't you go ahead and wrap up this episode and then we'll ask him some more questions to get some more awesome memories gladly so getting back to the episode review we switched scenes with aaron coming down the freshly painted stairway only to be faced with face to face with alex again Alex is upset that Aaron shared with Grant that she likes him. Aaron tells Alex that Grant is such a jerk anyway, and that Alex doesn't understand him. 
Alex becomes defensive, wanting to know when Aaron became a Grant Kelly expert. Aaron established that she is the Grant Kelly expert. Aaron lets slip that she is supposed to love him. Alex thinks Aaron and Grant are boyfriend and girlfriend. Through a series of misunderstandings, Aaron apologizes for using Alex to get back at her brother. Now Alex understands they are siblings. Aaron admits that Grant likes Alex, which causes Alex to hug Aaron. Aaron is not so accepting of receiving a hug. For the third time, Alex drifts into another daydream. This time, she dreams of Grant confronting her father. Her father is so angry that he could hit Grant, but Grant talks him down with his charm, revealing his anger towards him is just a front for his true feelings. At the end of the dream sequence, we cut back to Manny and Walter having just waxed the hallway floor. Proud of the job they've done, the boys put the floor buffer back. Mr. Lippman and McBroom storm into the hallway, only for Mr. Lippman to step on the freshly waxed floor and slide out of control, resulting in a big crash. We crossfade to Kevin meeting with Gwen. She explains that Walter has been doing, Walter has been doing, and now he may be getting kicked out of the school. Kevin rushes to get help so he can save his friend. In the vice principal's office, Mr. Lippman is pacing back and forth with his head wrapped in a cast on his arm. Walter and Manny are happy to share about the good work they've done, but Lippman is trying to devise an appropriate yet cruel punishment. Miss Topaz enters with Kevin, Grant, Alex, Aaron, and McBroom. They all explain that the boys' sports team is donating half of their funding to repairs, and Alex shares they're having a benefit dance to also help the school. All of this was inspired because of Walter. The sophomores apologize to Walter for treating him poorly earlier, and they are forgiven. Walter has them sign his leg cast. Miss Topaz signs Mr. Lippman's cast, which he stammeringly states that it would be an honor. Grant offers to give Alex a ride home. Walter then asks if he will have to stay a freshman. Mr. Lippman theorizes that Walter will always be a freshman. The camera pans down to the cast on his arm where Walter wrote feel better, but spelled feel B-E-D-D-E-R. End of the episode. So with all that being said, do you know why there is a cast change and a format change? Yeah, that would have to have come from uh, Viacom at the top, or you know, I, I, or just it was a decision that they made. They never shared any of the reasons for that with us. They definitely didn't, and it's interesting because I'm not sure. Like the creator, the co-creators were Bob Bententhal and Tim Hill. We've mm -hmm. mentioned them both; both amazing humans. Fantastic to get to work with them, and. I can't imagine that it was their idea. So I think it maybe was like a, a sign of the times. Um, just you, would, a, you wouldn't want to imagine it, right? You wouldn't want to imagine it. And then, the, you know, yeah. I don't, I, I never asked any of the, uh, the cast members that left it, you know, now that I'm an adult, maybe something was going on in their family lives that they had to not be available but i doubt that too. i don't so think I just, so we would have known about came, that i think it came from the network and I, I mean if i could i'm gonna go ahead and surmise here like uh this was a time like there were other shows at the time that were popular and i think nickelodeon was trying to compete with those and i i just yep. think that's where it came from it was like okay the the 22 minute formulaic um mm -hmm. single episode yep. I think the original concept was brilliant and maybe like ahead of its time, right? Like it was really, that was really more designed for adults. Sketch comedy was really more, you know, for adults. And I think they were ahead of their time, but I don't think that it, it worked 
or, or maybe it, it, they maybe they thought it didn't work as well as it did. And who knows? Like I mentioned earlier, um, you've got critics, you've got you know fans of the show, avid watchers of the show, who are either like, oh, I loved that it switched to the formulaic episode episode arc type, and then you've got ones who are like the the sketch comedy was so brilliant. Why did they do away with that? So as they say, everyone's got an opinion. <laughs> if I remember correctly, Brett and Alex's set uh, many of your, or at least several, especially Brett's favorite episodes from when we did the, the favorite episode episode um, for lack of a better term um, were from seasons one and two that you, you guys really enjoyed that that sketch format and just the freedom of it and like how bizarre it was able to get and the costumes and the scenarios just like really, really building complex situations. All right, well, Slimesters, those of you listening, we've got one episode down and another one just around the corner. So we're going to take ourselves a quick little break, head to the cafeteria for some snacks. But when we come back, we're going to see how the game remembers their time doing year's end. So stick around. Welcome Freshmen will return in a moment. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Splat Attack. If you are enjoying this episode, despite my hoarse voice, please hit the like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell. If you are listening on a podcast app, please leave us a review. These very simple actions on your part help others find the slime-filled past. As I said, I'm the lead singer for Black Lead Better, National Pearl Jam Tribute. And yes, go on Facebook, follow Black Lead Better. It's B-L-A-C-K-L-E-D-B-E-T-T-E-R. Uh, two words. And uh, yeah, that would be amazing. Follow us. We need the support. And I also own three rock and roll stores in the Altamont, Sanford, and Florida Mall. It's called Rock Stop. So if you want to get the greatest rock and roll memorabilia, real stuff that supports the bands properly. And that's rockstop.com. And I believe the Facebook is Rockstop and the Instagram is Rockstop USA. Thanks. I got a shout out. Um, Splat Attacks, Patreon. Do your, do your, make it, make it your NPR. Make it your monthly uh, donation if you appreciate all things Nick and the nostalgia that they're bringing back from one of the most impactful parts and times of all of our lives, including including audiences. In case you all didn't know, Brock himself, Grant Kelly, supports Splat Attack. And you can too by going to patreon.com slash splatattack. We do two live streams a month. We have the bonus mini-sodes coming out every Friday. We also have early access. And if we have time for some more surprise things, we will absolutely be there. So make sure to head over to patreon.com slash splatattack to get more Splat Attack in your life. Um, 2024 is going to be crazy. I would say read your Bible. And it's kind of, it's going to sound kind of generic, but women's economic empowerment, women's economic security, the current administration has passed a lot of legislation and a lot of strategies to support it. And we're pretty good in the United States, but we need to be better globally. And that's what I do for a living. So yay, women's economic empowerment. 
Don't forget that we got some awesome shirts over on our Bonfire page. Go to bonfire.com slash store slash splat attack store with hyphens in between. We have coffee mugs, t-shirts with the new logo on it, along with some t-shirts all designed towards some of our favorite TV shows like Are You Afraid of the Dark? Roundhouse is always a big one. Double Dare. A lot of great stuff over there. So bonfire.com slash store slash splat attack store with hyphens in between. Tune in next time, Slimesters, as we carefully search the hallways to avoid getting clobbered by a slew of pesky bullies. We are counting down our top five Nick bullies. Which despicable antagonist will rise to the top of the garbage heap? You will only find out here on Splat Attack. You're watching Nickelodeon, and now back to Welcome Freshmen. All right, I believe class is now in session, and we need to get to hitting these books once more. Let's not stall any further and dive right into our homework by giving the episode info for our obvious next episode. Uh, we are going to be looking at Year's End, which was from Season 4, episode, depending on where you look, 12 or 14. Uh, air date was, closest I could find, was December 26, 1993. Uh, directed by Adam Weissman and written by Tim Hill. And the story opens with Alex sitting on a bench in the hallway, trying to think of the perfect way to sign Grant's yearbook. Aaron greets her and can't fathom why Alex is having such a difficult time. Alex states that it takes careful planning to have just the right thing to say in the yearbook. Just then Kevin shows up asking Alex to sign his yearbook, and without any thought, she signs it and returns it. They notice that Walter and his father, Al, exiting Mr. Lipman's office. They suspect it is because Walter will be held back as a freshman yet again. Al invites Mr. Lipman to join them on a fishing trip after giving the vice principal a lure. Mr. Lipman declines the offer and hooks the lure onto the sleeve of his jacket, which Al assists by ripping the hook off, damaging the sleeve. Al leaves and Mr. Lipman returns to his office. Walter then shares with his friends that although he doesn't test well, he did graduate as a sophomore because the teachers threatened to quit their job if Walter, like, if they got Walter for a third year in a row. So moving on with uh, some quick questions. Did closing the show feel like graduating high school, knowing that you probably won't see many of these people again? Yes, it was very sad. Um, it was like coming to the end of, you know, an era for us. Um, it felt like it went really fast. Um, it was kind of like, is the show canceled? Are we done? Are we coming back? And then it was like, no, we're not coming back. <laughs> um, it was kind of depressing thinking we had to go back to our normal lives. You know, I yeah. went back to be like a cashier and I worked at a movie theater and I cleaned the popper, you know? Um, but yeah, it did feel like the end of something really, really special. And, um, it felt like, okay, well, we have to do this. We have to move on. And it made me just want to remember everything and everyone and, and collect every picture and every piece of paper and go into wardrobe and be like, can I have those boots? You know? Um, so yeah, it, the it definitely was. was yes, yeah. Way. The answer was yes. <laughs> well, uh, Melissa got the other prayer. Um, but yeah, it really did feel like the end of um, a, what we knew was going to be a very important chapter in our lives, 
even yeah. though we were in it, we knew, or I knew that this was never going to happen again. Not like that. How did the, uh, for the rest of you, what did it feel like uh, knowing that this was going to be the, the last episode? It was heartbreaking. It was a really hard pill. And uh, I, I had so many relationships with so many people uh, behind the scenes and the uh, cast members. I, I knew I, it wasn't like I was never going to see them again. It was different than, you know, that. Like, it, not, everybody was going to college. I, I kind of slinked my way back into a, a way to be involved in the next thing going on there. Um, I wasn't ready to let it go. It, it, it was heartbreaking. It was really hard. Getting back to the episode, after the really rocking intro, which really needs more love, uh, we see Grant sitting at a cafeteria table as Alex approaches. Alex shares that she got her work schedule and points out that she has the weekends off. Grant says that they won't be able to spend the first weekend together due to him being on a solo hike. Grant is looking forward to surviving in the wilderness while Alex thinks it's dangerous and stupid. Grant confidentially states that he isn't worried and just leaves. Kevin returns to Alex and shares that he signed her yearbook. Alex notices how sweet the comment was that he wrote. That's when it dawns on her that he is wanting something. When, when questioned, Kevin requests $10. Alex does agree to do so, but she also wonders why Kevin just won't get a job. When Kevin talks down about working, Alex takes her money back, exclaiming she would rather see Kevin suffer. Crosses off to Mr. Lippman's office, and he is giddy about the end of the school year and is practicing his putting. Prescott barges in, and Lippman tries to brush him off quickly. Prescott reveals that they all have received orders that the staff are to do community service each week of summer. Prescott and some of the other faculty have rented a boat to aid the homeless, and he invites Lippman to join, which he is reluctant to do. Prescott reveals that there is also the teen hotline, and terrified with this proposition, Lippman jumps at the chance for boating. We cut to Aaron coming down the stairs, overhearing other students share their wonderful plans over the summer, and Walter greets her, asking how is she? Aaron dismisses with a simple okay, I guess. Walter tries to be sympathetic, stating that he understands how she feels about graduation, or moving up a year. She denies that this is what she is going through, and Walter invites Aaron to study hall, but Aaron needs to get to CPR class. She's going to be a camp counselor over the summer and needs to get certified in first aid. She's going to assist disadvantaged children. So our first question for uh, this portion, each character has their own obvious strengths and weaknesses. What are some things that you like about any character of the show uh, what what is one thing about them that you really just stuck with i'll go first because i wanted to say it earlier when arian was talking about the uh when we we're talking about the first episode um things change and uh, it, it struck me that i definitely always not always whatever i, I thought it was unusual that me as a sophomore would befriend a freshman like that and especially Alex 
the character. Like she's not the kind of of young woman who's gonna be like sympathetic towards anyone, right? Like she, you you have to meet meet a certain standard and a certain measure. And when Erin was reminiscing about how at the end of that first uh, episode, she um, kind of just was like just herself and so confident and and who she was and that was always the great thing about Arian playing that character like she was so confident in who Aaron was and just didn't have any excuses and just like owned it and I absolutely think that Alex immediately recognized in her like oh this is a power woman like I get this I'm I'm behind this like this woman is cool and um she's not just your average freshman and if she's this cool like okay she can be my circle because she's like she's she's with it she's got it she's she's that so I think I definitely think that's something um that I would highlight as, as recognizing it or admi admiring in a in another character I also think I mean one of my favorite things about Alex is she always spoke her mind and like I can kind of relate to that like she didn't mince words and she was sassy and I like to think I'm not me isn't I'm not quite I'm I'm a little more tactful than she is and a little more diplomatic and I try to be a little bit less offensive but I respect the kind of like forthrightness but I also think that's what she respected about Aaron and and so yeah I I respected um this this kind of harkens back to things change but I I respected the resiliency and resourcefulness of Kevin because like if you think about the the interaction he had with Miss Topaz, he's she's like, well, you've got a crush on me, but that's not gonna happen. And so he could have been like depressed like the rest of the episode or whatever. But the last, if you listen, the last question he asks is, so can you give me the names of any of the like? It's like he's not gonna be he's not gonna be held down. Like he's okay. What's next? Like how am I gonna get there from A to B? Like he's, he's kind of, he was always plotting and scheming, you know, like the pizza. And then in the end, you know, he, spoiler alert, but he, he ends up taking the job as, you know, the pizza delivery guy. And it's like means to an end. Like I got to make money. I got to do this. And oh, reality check. Like um, people who work for a living are, you know, respectful. And that's, you know, Alex tries to teach him that lesson by you're not going to disparage me. I'm telling you, this is work ethic. You know what I mean? Like, like you can't have my money if you don't respect that you know so i think he's just he kind of had that never say die attitude and always taking a different approach to try to accomplish what his goal was and i really like the way walter was the heart i know brock has said this many times but walter's character was the heart but what was so endearing about it is that he didn't know it like he was unaware of how um sensitive he really was. I mean, he would say something on the face would be like really dumb and stupid, but then the rest of us would be like, oh, now we get it because of the way he just so simply put it. And he just got to you, that character. I loved that character. I loved uh, Miss Petruca. She played off Mr. Whitman brilliantly. She was probably she was amazing. The, the what, what was her name? What was her actual name? I'm trying Janice to choose the passenger. Janice. Janice Benson. I had a, I had a, a thought recently. I was like, she's probably the oldest living like cast. I hope she's still around. I would love to uh, talk to her again. Her, her and my mom got along really well too. But she was just like a really, she was she was a good 
good bit of glue as well. She was uh, very poignant and uh, had a sense of normalcy about her that was really uh, welcoming and nice. I liked her. And uh, Arian actually touched on this a little bit uh, earlier. End of the school year, students are always sending yearbooks and things like that, especially the last year. Knowing this was the last episode or that it was going to be wrapping up soon, was there anything that you all were doing as a cast so that way you could look back at this time period and remember it fondly? Lots of pictures. Do we have a time capsule anywhere? Do you have your own personal time capsules? Yeah, I have like a trunk of all my Nickelodeon stuff. It's it's a very, you know, it, it looks like a piece of furniture. I'm, I love trunks. I have tons of them. But my my biggest, prettiest one is my Nickelodeon trunk. And it has um, scripts, um, you know, T-shirts. Yeah. I have my I, I was on Family Double Dare when I was really, really young, like fifth grader. Um, I did a couple different game shows. And um, yeah, it's like my Nickelodeon treasure trove. But Rick definitely has the most of that stuff. I have a garage full of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I have a scrapbook, but I think, again, like photos, you know, before we started this episode, I was, um, you all were gracious enough to let me share a lot of photos with you, which I will share and then you can share them widely, however you want to. But yeah, like photos, obviously, I love them and keep them and have them. All right. Well, getting back to the episode. We cut to Kevin reading job opportunities in the newspaper. And Alex joins him and Kevin again attempts to collect money from her with empty promises to pay her back. Alex ignores the request and then shares her trepidation about Grant going on a solo hike. Kevin agrees that the idea is insane. Aaron passes by and Alex gets her attention. Alex once again expressed her concern and Aaron is unfazed. It doesn't seem like such a big thing to worry about. To her, as long as Grant knows how to read a compass, he should be fine. However, if anything should happen to Grant, Aaron gets his room. Aaron joins CPR class late with an unhappy teacher. She is assigned a partner for class, and she is quite taken with him. Her teacher then tells Aaron to find a pulse on her partner. At first, she fails, but with a little assistance and joking, he helps her find the pulse. Now it's Aaron's turn to have her pulse checked. She lies down, makes a funny dead face, and pretends to go into a playful seizure, which her partner finds amusing. Crossfade to the school entrance, where Prescott is ushering in a very wobbly Mr. Lipman. Prescott reassures the vice principal that lots of people get seasick, although not necessarily from just being on the dock. Through a series of descriptive details about being on the boat, Mr. Lippman feels sick and rushes to the restroom. Prescott states that Mr. Lippman is simply making more room for dinner. Cross back to the cafeteria where Alex is pondering what to write in Grant's yearbook. Aaron passes in disbelief that Alex is still working on this. Alex blames the wilderness adventure for her writer's block. Aaron reassures her, again, that Grant will be fine. He has had training for over a month. Just then, her CPR partner, Steve, comes in. They brag on each other and lightly flirt, and Steve exits, and Alex notices that they like each other. Alex points out that it's tragic that they just met each other on the last day of school, only to be away from each other all summer. We begin to see a little bit of some of the things that the characters do over the summer. But 
just in, in theorizing, what profession do you see your characters doing as an adult? That, I don't know why, but the first question, I mean, the first response that pops into my head, and this is absolutely the character and not me at all. Sure. Accountant. Okay. Can you can you see Alex as an accountant? I don't know. Like me, no, but <laughs> maybe lawyer. I don't want to admit that because I am actually a lawyer in real life. So like maybe Alex could be a lawyer. I don't know. Alex is totally a lawyer. <laughs> okay. That's what I always envisioned. Too. Okay, well, art or, imitates life. Or some I kind of politician, embrace... like some yeah. kind of like the you know vice president or president. I will embrace it. I will embrace it. Say M Manny would probably be Manny would probably be a mechanical engineer or a copy machine salesman or a repairman probably. That's quite the gamut. <laughs> you know, sadly, as actors, we should have maybe uh, yeah, thought I, this through yeah, like I, day I, I was one. Gonna, I was gonna blow like, everybody. I was gonna hear everybody's. Okay, my character, our character should have been well rounded enough and thought out enough that we, yeah, we should have had all these questions answered like day one um you yourself and you're like i don't know what i want to i don't want to know the future because that might ruin my now yeah aaron i don't know aaron probably was you know i don't know i mean the first thing that came to mind was something kind of like masculine you know um where she was definitely a boss you know a director mm. of some one some thing some group some you know Funny what enough, she, like she probably became a principal. Though, she can see. Yeah, she she probably ended up being a like a principal of a school, literally. Mm. <laughs> or, or like, or like the the director of a music program at Juilliard or something, because her trajectory was decidedly musical. Like yeah. from from the whole Shawnice episode. Yeah. And like, they hinted at that, the demo that tape. natural talent of just like, I remember Mama Kay bragging about Arian that he taught, she would look at, she'd be playing piano. She taught herself to do that by ear. But like it she, was bragging with like complete authority, uh, like validated. Like she was oh, validated and bragging sure. about it because it was authentic. <laughs> undeniable yeah. talent. And her Aaron mother was talented. And if she said someone was talented, you better have been believe it. Oh my gosh, hundred percent. Yeah, you guys are right. Aaron was like, Aaron went on to be like a director for sure. Mama oh, Mama K, Mama K. Her birthday Kay. was her birthday was what? Just uh, recent December. December yeah, December thirteenth. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I I I pictured you know the uh, the obvious the positive route for Grant would have been some sort of a professional athlete. I think the reality of it, professional football. Let's face it. The reality of it would probably be more like the dude who got, you know, working in insurance sales or something like that, telling the war stories of all the glory day back in Hawthorne. I was the man at Hawthorne. But you know? Maybe he's in insurance sales and he's the coach for his son's like yeah. baby, not baby league. I don't know what you call it, like football, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, Pop Warner. Yeah, 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 but he's like the coach, and he's yeah. like, I think, For I sure. think Grant is like one hundred percent a committed dad. He's like super committed dad. Yeah, yeah. I think Chris, I think Chris Chris's character would be a bouncer at a club, and like in like <laughs> Vegas. No, 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 no. 
He would not be the bouncer. He's the owner of the club who maybe sometimes. Oh, okay, maybe the DJ. Promoter. No, no. The he promoter. owns the club. He like owns it. And he has all everybody working for him. And every once in a while, he fills in as the bouncer and like, you know, messes with people's minds. But he 100% owns that club. 100% yep. owns that club. Yep. <laughs> okay, Rick, what would Walter be? <laughs> I hang out at Chris's club. Security. It's brilliant. Yeah. Uh I think Walter uh or his father, um, if if his father should have stayed alive, uh hit hit the lottery and uh now just kind of works with animals because he loves animals. I love that. Simple. Real simple. And like you know, volunteers at a soup kitchen on Sundays. Good hearted, just like his character. Doesn't, doesn't God, really you're like just that. the heart. That. You're That's just perfect. the heart. That's uh, where James Woods are in the group. <laughs> He's lucky, but so unlucky. All right. Going back to the episode. After the commercial break, we see that Mr. Lippman is talking with Miss Petruca, asking for the superintendent. Miss Petruca reminds Mr. Lippman that he has yearbooks to sign. He quickly answers by stating that he now has a stamp for signing yearbooks. Mr. Lippman is put on hold, hoping to get out of the boat trips in favor of taking the teen hotline. It's not what he wants, but at least he is on solid ground. He then notices on his desk a wave simulator that the science club gave him. The constant swaying and the descriptive details from Miss Petruca sends him running out once again to the restroom. The superintendent answers the phone, and Miss Petruca informs that Mr. Lippin just stepped out to make room for dinner. Cut to the school entrance, where Kevin enters wearing a very nice suit. He passes Alex, who is yet again seen writing a love letter in Grant's yearbook, and Aaron sees Kevin in his suit and asks if someone died. Kevin tells her to shut up, and then shares that he went to a job interview. He is upset that he couldn't even get past security because of his age. Kevin leaves and Walter meets her. He gives her a container to hold as he opens his locker. Aaron opens it only to discover that there are worms inside. Walter takes his worms and leaves. And Mr. Lippman staggers out of the restroom and Aaron meets him. She asks him to sign some papers for her summer job. Mr. Lippman is impressed that she is taking the time to be a camp counselor and agrees to sign the papers. As they leave, Alex continues to write in the yearbook and then abruptly stops, claiming that this is stupid. Cut to the cafeteria where Grant is telling Alex that she cannot come with him on his solo hike. She shares her concerns and he explains that there are safety precautions and training for this. Aaron enters and Alex asks, if she has told Steve that she will be gone all summer. Aaron states that she hasn't, to which Alex retorts that it would be better to just lead Steve on and crush his hopes later. Alex apologizes for being upset with Grant and is taking her frustration out on Aaron. Crossfade to Mr. Lipman, looking over a flyer for the camp that Aaron will be working at, and Walter enters and asks Mr. Lipman to sign his yearbook. Before he can finish asking, Mr. Lippman slams the stamp on the yearbook. Walter leaves his container on Mr. Lippman's desk as he gathers the rest of his things and leaves. Prescott enters and brings some medicine 
for seasickness. But Mr. Lippman is happy to share about the camp that he suggested working in, which also has a golf course. He opens up the container left by Walter as Prescott is in awe of how Mr. Lippman always manages to worm his way out of situations like this as Mr. Lippman holds a container of worms. Off to the restroom again. Prescott sees the container of worms and states how he thought Lippman was a vegetarian. For this question, uh, in this episode, everyone unintentionally is making Mr. Lippman sick, but pranks have been covered on the show multiple times, and all of you have been stating that uh, there were quite a few little hellions within the group. Was there an instance that you can remember, either during the show or pretty much any other time, where there was a really, really good prank that was done uh, outside of the uh, the pie in the face for Mr. Bob Minthal? Oh my gosh, I can't believe there I'm going to say this out loud. There were 100% so many pranks backstage, and I, I cannot think of a I single one. Anything. I know, it's crazy, man. No, I can't there was so no. much tomfoolery, we, man. We respected each other, and we were total professionals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what Rick yeah, said, right. yes. That's how it was. Never. Never. Our mutual respect not allow uh, I'm just going to yeah. go ahead and say sarcasm. Sarcasm. <laughs> I know my wife complains to me all the time because she jokes primarily in sarcasm. And I'm like, Wait, what? Are you sure? Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> like there was so... a single one either. That's really crazy. Uh, it's so crazy. I think because, I think it's a testament to the fact that it was just like common. We can't pick out a single episode because that's literally like what was always happening. There was always pranks being played, and I don't feel like it was limited to just us we've talked about no. how amazing the adults were and they i were remember one i was i was shut in a locker i was shut in a locker on, during the episode i'm dead episode but that six, was that was and, like and then, on no, scene but, that no, was no, like know, intentional but, but, but during yeah but during the scene during the scene once they shut me in the locker one time they didn't let you out no, Ted Shilowitz tried to say one hour lunch, and, he, and oh, I right. could see through the vents in their locker, so I could sounds... see everybody just sitting there. But they were trying to pretend like they put me in the locker, yep. and then they bailed for yeah. lunch. Right. That sounds one hundred percent plausible. What I was gonna say is like not only did we play pranks, but like the crew also played pranks, and we just knew like you didn't take anyone seriously because it was just a prank filled everybody was wild all the time man it was funny there was it, there was always something going on with somebody cameraman or somebody man what was the one thing that wrong? it made it to the to the rap tape um it was it obviously wasn't cruel but they, i mean it it seemed cruel <laughs> the dot mot the meat kid oh dude that was amazing it yeah, was so funny had, that it was, was the, the, the sophomore. Fellow, the sophomore. There were yep. so many funny, like, great episode. Line, and they would make him read it again. And I think in the control booth, they were they were like, "This is great," and they kept making him do it, and he wouldn't he wouldn't get it right. He just couldn't he couldn't it. say it. No. He couldn't say it, man. He he the line, the, the line meat. was, yeah. Doth mod the monster jealousy beware the green-eyed monster jealousy which doth mock the meat it feed on and nice. this man could not say it he couldn't <laughs> no. say it not well not just him it was that was a hard line for everyone but yeah well we're gonna wrap up the year's end episode here 
We cross fade to study hall, where Alex is looking at a map trying to figure out where Grant may land in his wilderness adventure. Walter sits with her and asks question after dangerous question about Grant's trek through the wilderness. Alex becomes increasingly frustrated with Walter, and he leaves. Kevin stops him and is selling items out of his locker. Alex then notices that the lake Walter and his father will be fishing in will be the same woods that Grant will be trekking. She gets her things and leaves, and Kevin continues to sell his locker items to the other students. Meanwhile, in the hallway, Steve and Aaron meet. Aaron passed her CPR class, as did Steve. They sign each other's yearbooks. Walter and Kevin enter the hall as Walter regales stories about the fish that he and his father were hoping to catch. Aaron begins to share with Steve that she will be working at camp, but Walter interrupts by showing the magazines that he just bought from Kevin. After some urging from Aaron, Walter and Kevin leave, and they run into Grant and Alex. Alex asks how the sale is going, and Kevin is happy to announce that he made $20. Grant snatches it from Kevin, stating that he likes a man who can pay his debts. Alex then returns Grant's yearbook. Aaron shows up excited to announce that Steve also will be a camp counselor at the same camp. Grant then reads Alex's note in the yearbook. The bell rings, and school is over. Kevin asks Walter how it feels to graduate up a year. And Walter says, Okay, I guess. I mean, these are probably the best days of our lives, and pretty soon, high school will just be a faded memory. But hey, I guess that's life. Crossfade to the woods where Walter and his father are watching Jeopardy on TV by the campfire. Alex shows up after looking for Grant, whom she didn't find. She thanks them for letting her tag along, and they thank her for bringing the TV. She asked if they found the fish, which regrettably they did not. Al stated that they ordered pizza. Then they heard a sound in the distance. Al yells, it's a brown bear, and grabs an oar. Turns out to be just Grant, running in from the woods. Grant is surprised to see them, and Alex asks what's wrong. Grant, panicked, stated that something is chasing him. Al grabs the oar and yells, It's a brown bear! Turns out to be just two teens carrying a canoe, and Grant hears footsteps and asks if anyone else is hearing that. Oar in hand, Al yells for a third Allow time. Allow me! Allow me! It's a brown bear! It's a brown bear! <laughs> Turns out that it's just Aaron and Steve helping Mr. Lipman find some place to sit after getting sick from canoeing. Grant begins to think he's hallucinating and searches for salt tablets. The pizza man arrives, only to discover that it's Kevin. Kevin thinks it's a surprise party, but no, they're all just hanging out. They all sit around the campfire and enjoy pineapple anchovy liverwurst pizza. Al offers a piece to Mr. Lippman, who then runs away and gets sick again. Al says, huh, must be making room. Walter suggests that Aaron assist Mr. Lippman by using CPR on him, to which the whole group responds by saying, ew. End of the episode. End the series. End the series. And uh, we, we did address this a bit when we did the top five um, Welcome freshman episodes, but what was the toughest thing about closing out the show? Same answer. Like it's just, it was tough. It was hard. 
I mean, it was uh, it was the great unknown, and uh, and very scary because you know we peaked. That was a real peak experience. It was hard. It felt like we had when when Rick said that's kind of when we peaked. I totally agree. It's like we not only just, but it's like we had this great rhythm. We knew uh, what to expect from one another. We were starting to really learn um, how to play off one another on set, you know, in the show. And the characters had started to arc in, in such a really cool way. And it's like right as they were arcing and things were starting to develop, it was like, <sighs> so, um, yeah, it it was heartbreaking. That's a perfect word for it. I was only uh I was only uh participating in you know, season three. Um and I remember getting that letter and that was kind of devastating. Uh it was like, wow, just it was over. That's it. I never gonna see any of them again. You know, it's it's a wrap. You know, that was that was a little challenging to do because I mean when you're a professional actor, especially um I, I was I was working a lot. And I, I probably got 10 auditions, but went on like 900. So you, you get to, you, you get used to rejection. You know, you have to, uh, when you're in the game, especially as a young kid, cause you go on a million auditions and you get a couple if you're lucky, but to get one of that magnitude and then get that letter. And it's like, oof, ouch. And, you know, and of course your hindsight's always 2020. So you don't, you never cherish the moment as efficiently as you cherish the memory. You know what I mean? Like I used to, that, that in my opinion is the whole human condition. There is mastering the art of learning how to cherish the moment and not have to cherish the memory and be like, damn, that was actually something that I should have paid a little more attention to. Cause it was, you know, it's one of those don't know what you got till it's gone things. Sorry to plug Cinderella. You know what I mean? But well, you were 12. And we weren't we weren't mature clearly as we just spoke about enough for sure to like uh, you know kind of uh, stick in that deep resolve uh, yeah. moment you know and, and I hadn't been I wasn't a Pink Floyder yet so I I wasn't able to think that deep back then <laughs> I I think I've I've been the dissenter in in this topic and um and certainly I was very very sad to to lose the daily contact with everybody there was also a part of me that was ready i think to have a normal end of high school which was over so beginning to college experience normal like with with friends or whatever that's going to look like classes my fraternity like just going on and having that life and i think the irony of the whole thing is the very fact that the show came to an end and and everything that we had done together and every relationship we had built was finite and it was being put in our past is the very thing that makes it so special because it was it wasn't just ongoing it wasn't just another day it was like the that special time and and Nick put it perfectly like you couldn't see me if you're on the podcast but like I but am emphasizing what you said like that's exactly being in the moment right now you know um and not not so you don't look back and say i was 
I was absent. Like I, I, I was thinking about the future. I was thinking about the past, like just like looking at these people. And I, I brought this up at the, on the last podcast, the, I always had a really kind of a profound experience during the room tone when we had to be quiet and it was like, everybody quiet for room tone. We have like 30 seconds, 45 seconds where we all just kind of like sat around and looked at each other. And I think that was pretty cool. It's like a moment of silence. It's like a forced, you know, observation of mm -hmm. where you are. And, and you just were looking around at each other, probably trying to make each other laugh. Like you're going to ruin room tone. It's not going to be me. It's going to be you. And so that was a, that was profound struggle. The last question that we have for the night, you absolutely beautiful people, you. Do you mind it, if I say it? Go ahead. Thank you. Just because uh, it's appropriate for the occasion. Oh, Brett, yeah. What is something that when you think about the making of the show makes you smile? All of these faces. All of it. I don't know. Jocelyn's energy was pretty, is, is, that's a pretty good safe place to go when you're feeling down. You just got to remember how she was to everybody. And that's, that, that, that's. Don't make me cry. I'm now. sorry. That's what I feel. That's, I remember. And Rick was so funny and just, and also I can't, what was his name? What was McBroom's real name? Dennis. We used to all play questions too. Like it was a game where you, You'd ask a question and you can only respond with a question. And we used to play it in between scenes right before we go on. And eventually it became like this thing to calm any nervous jitters we may have about any particular thing. If ever you did a scene with him, he'd be like, you do want to play questions? And if you, if you and like the common response is, why do you ask? Because you're not really allowed to <laughs> answer with any other question. You want to play know? questions? And like I remember the first time it happened, he's like, "You want to play questions?" I'm like, "What's that?" And he's and he was just like, "Ah," and I'm like, ah. "What the hell are you talking about?" Ah. And I kept, I kept going, "Yeah, it's great. someone who actually knows the game." And I had no idea what he was talking about. I had no idea, but we got pretty good at it. And I mean, again, and also like trying it. Well, they used to tell us to be quiet for a lot of reasons, and to, when they used to try to make us laugh, man, it was. It was, it was, there's a lot, I have a lot of good smiles from that. A lot of good smiles from that. It was very affectionate too. You could always get hugs from everyone. We used to have a lot of fun at the craft table, man. Cause I was kind of a scoose to mother, man. I ate everything. And I would go to, the, I'd go to Clarissa's set when we were done and eat all their food on the craft table too. <laughs> I'd go over to that. Awesome. I mean, there's so much to learn about it. Table reads, man, were fantastic, you know, uh, and, and the fact that we had a tour there and that you could get involved with the, the tour guide experience and there were, you know, there, that place was a buzz. Everything about it was just... No, I just want to add for Brett's, Brett and Alex's last question. I think I 100% agree with um, everything everyone's already said. And I would just add that I think what makes me smile now, and I don't think it was something I could appreciate or understand before, was um, incredible, incredible people like you that we were able to reach and influence and touch. Like, I think when we're in the moment, we're like, oh, we're just doing the show and like, whatever, there's like a camera. But to, to think that there are fans out there who um, were able to 
maybe identify and grow up and get through some challenging times because of what we were doing. And I don't take any credit for like the writing or the storyline or anything like that, but it really makes me proud and so grateful. Um, and I just, as, as Brock has said multiple times, like, and I'm going to get, and now I'm definitely going to cry. I'm like getting very teary eyed because it's so, it's so flattering, but also so endearing. Like, just thank you. And you, you make what we did valuable. If it wasn't for you, what we did would be nothing. And, and I know that there are other people and I really hope that there are other fans out there who appreciate, appreciate, I believe that there must be, because otherwise this wouldn't be so successful. (laughs) And, and no, and I believe that, and I'm just so grateful to all of you. And I hope that it really comes to you how gratified we are by that as well like what what are we doing in this life if we're not trying to make other people's lives better in even the smallest funniest silliest stupidest way and so I just I'm I'm just really grateful to have the opportunity um I'm really grateful to be in this family and to be connected with you and I'm really grateful for what you do and I cannot wish you more than the best Brett like honestly you're going to be so amazing and so successful and I cannot wait to follow your career and I'm sad that you're leaving this really cool thing but it's going to be awesome and so I just want to thank you both and everyone who's out there because again what we do or what we did wouldn't have mattered at all if it wasn't for you like who would we be doing this for if it wasn't for you so thank you more than welcome. I mean, this is why we started the podcast in the first place, just mm-hmm. to connect with the people who made our childhood wonderful and why we're proving to the world, no matter how much noise there is on the internet these days, why this stuff still matters and why it's worth remembering. That's why we, our slogan is we're honoring the slime filled past, the golden era of Nickelodeon that made our childhood that we want to share with future generations to come. Because this stuff right here, the stuff that we relate to, the stuff that we made memories with, these are worth remembering for future generations to pass that on, to archive it, to develop history around it and not be left in dust just because, you know, some people disagree with putting money to preserve it somewhere. With the episode reviews, well, not the episode review, but the episode synopsis all done, let's get into our ratings. Brett, what do you rate things change? Ah. <sighs> I've been torn on this so so much. I kept ping ponging back and forth during the day because uh, I wanted I wanted to do something very fitting. Like mm-hmm. normally, normally, I hand out high ratings like they're candy with episodes I really love, but uh, I don't, I don't know how to really categorize this. It's it's a very poignant episode. Definitely one of the more memorable ones I've seen in. Two and a half seasons of the show I've I've casually watched since starting this podcast. Uh, really love the dream sequence and the the silly music as a, like a running joke. Uh, really like the introduction of Aaron Grant and Manny just being integrated into the the old cast and making that flow pretty well, and you know getting a good sense of each of their distinct personalities through the interactions. Um, And it feels like all the other characters there aren't really skipping a beat either. Like it doesn't feel unnatural in any way. I think I'm going to give it an S, Flatterific, for that reason. And that was exactly what I was going to give it as well. uh, Because there are, there's not very many episodes of TV that I can think of where they have an established cast 
and then they make it very clear that some are not coming back and here are some new ones some characters are being held back so they can keep it welcome freshmen but uh i mean we we do have changing of seasons uh, like uh I know Boy Meets World did that whenever they were growing up and going into a new school and there were cer certain characters that you just lost, like Minkus. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, Don't forget Are You Afraid of the Dark, too. Yes. A couple seasons. But uh, it's it's not very often where they really address things really change like this in school. And uh, not to mention that they... Not only was there a cast change, but there was a format change, which was really big. So this was their really first attempt at doing a sitcom format and i thought they did really well with it uh they they managed to tell a very good story every character had an opportunity to shine uh this was very much new territory for the writers for the cast and i thought they really did a great job of it so i agree uh s po show awesome and year's end this one for me um I enjoyed it, but something about the pacing with the whole uh, getting yearbooks assigned stuff didn't quite hit with me. Like, for some reason, I just found it dragging just a tiny bit more, uh, you know, than the other episodes' plots. Although I did like running gags with um, Mr. Lippman and the yearbook stamp, and also he's making room for whatever is causing him to run to the bathroom and gag because I can relate to that right now. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that, I, I really loved his character shining in that of all people. He's like the dark horse of the episode because I wasn't expecting him to have a few zingers in there, Mr. Littman. But I, I really enjoyed hearing how everyone's handling the end of the year in their own unique way, like with Grant going on his hiking trip, Kevin trying to find a summer job, Aaron um, getting like summer summer job as like a camp counselor. And then of course, Alex, uh, you know, just trying to figure out the perfect thing to write in a yearbook, which, you know, I can relate to all those instances in, in my own way with all the experiences I've gone through uh, high school and college and beyond even. Um, really love the ending scene more than the rest of the episode, gotta be honest, because I love camping and Walter's father's reaction. It's a bear, brown bear. <laughs> I, I feel like I need that on the shirt now because his delivery is just perfect with the ore out and just overreacting to like, oh, it's these characters coming in. Oh, it's these guys in the canoe. Oh, it's Kevin with a pizza, which by the way, seems, you know, hilarious that he settled for that as he like went from guy in a suit who couldn't get through security to just pizza delivery boys, like the quintessential summer job. So for that reason, and uh, despite the fact that it ended with its last word being ew, which I guess is a proper reaction to the series ending, maybe. Um, I'm gonna give it an A, a splatulent, which means that collectively both my my grades, my final grades for this is SA, splat attack. <laughs> Uh, I am going to give this also an uh, almost said an A uh, an S. Uh, I really do like this episode too. Uh, the whole yearbook thing that was me. Uh, I completely resonate with that because I looked forward every year to getting my yearbook and having my friends sign. And there always be that one idiot. Uh, I'm the first to sign your crack. Uh, <laughs> or like in a weird spot that blocks all the other good spots yes. for signatures. Yeah, I relate. Uh, 
Uh, and there were some people where all I would have to do is just sign my name and I was done. There were some people that I would I would write a little something just to tell them how much I appreciate. But there there were some people I genuinely had writer's block because what I'm writing just doesn't feel like it's enough. And uh, so I, I felt everybody's situation going through wanting to write something for the very, very special. And what's amazing to me is nobody's graduating high school. Somehow, everyone here is just moving up another grade. They they still have at least one more year of high school. But because we know this is the end of the show, they are still treating it like it's the end of school, period. And uh, I really liked Walter's description of what it feels like to move up uh, because his description can be utilized for just about anything. Uh, any any major life-changing moment where you, you've had a wonderful time doing this thing, but now it's time to move on. Uh, again, while we chose that episode uh, to review for this episode. And uh, I don't know, the, ending the, the series with the line, ew, that is very fitting for Welcome Freshmen. They've never been known to really hit any big poignant message or even get serious and talking about things being really bad, but like every show does at least once. Welcome Freshman, it's not, it's not their style. They're just all about the juvenile gross out humor. And it feels like an appropriate end with everyone sitting down at a campfire, eating really disgusting pizza. But uh, I, I don't, I, I liked it. I, I really, really enjoyed it for an end of season an end of series episode and for even though the characters aren't graduating high school, but it is the end of the series, even their little poignant moments really still did hit. And uh, then you also get to hear a little bit about what their futures could be like. And mm. I don't know. I liked it. I liked it a lot. It, yeah. it definitely was better than I thought it was going to be for a welcome freshman ending. So definitely an S for me. It's a fun teaser for the imagination of what could be if this were ever to continue in some form, which I, I really like when shows are set up that way where you're sad it's over, but you're happy because you have great memories and you you can kind of use that that episode fuel as like creating the show in your own mind, continuing however you want. Like, I feel that's the beauty of it. And so, you know, it also seems like a fitting sequel years into Things Change. It not only bookends the second half of the series, but it it feels like they're also going through changes here and going off on their separate ways after getting to know each other. And it's full circle. It's it, they're very fitting it. So I'm glad we were able to do them together for this yeah. episode. Well, now that we've got our episode reviews out of the way, we have our segment for the episode and it's, it's been a crazy end of the year uh, here for splat attack. I've, I've been nonstop punching the clock but we have got a couple of emails, uh, both of which from the same person. But uh, anytime we get messages from uh, followers and fans, I, I want to acknowledge them. So we're going to go take a look and see what letters Mona's got for us over at Mona's Mailbag. Mailbag! These are for you! 
Ah, yes, thank you, Mona. I've got uh, got a couple emails here, uh, both of them from our good buddy Travis, uh, who I just absolutely love doing live streams with on Patreon. Yeah, he always tickles my funny bone and always has some great stuff in the comment section on my Instagram. Uh, but he sent these two over the holidays. And again, I had said earlier, holidays were super crazy for me. So now I'm catching up on some old emails, starting with, hi, Alex and company. I watched the Meg Reacts mini-sode that focused on Christmas commercials. It was fun. Do I remember that Fruity Pebbles Christmas commercial? That's a real classic right there. Although I'm not sure if I'll ever understand how exactly the, Fl the Flintstones can celebrate Christmas, but I digress. One of my favorite Christmas commercials is the Honey Nut Cheerios ad where Buzz B tries to offer Ebenezer Scrooge a bowl of the aforementioned cereal. That is a favorite of mine too. I also like Christmas music, especially jazzy Christmas music. In fact, every December on my jazz radio show, I usually dedicate at least three weeks to jazzy Christmas songs. What's my favorite sweet during the holiday season? Well, I guess I would have to say red and green M&Ms, any flavor, as well as Christmas cookies and Halloween-themed Reese's peanut butter candies, like peanut butter trees, for example. That's a favorite of mine, too. Plus, my family and I... I have a friend at church who makes great peanut brittle. Oh, speaking right to my heart. Thanks for your time. Keep up the good work. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Let's take the gack back. Stay gacky, Travis K. Yeah, well, I think this is the first time we actually got a formal Meg Reacts Mona's Mailbag Lair. So thank you, Travis, for sending that in. That's awesome. And uh, I agree with you about the, the Fruity Pebbles... Uh, the Christmas commercial. I remember that a lot, but what does it got to do with Christmas? A little, little bit strange there, but yeah, the red and green M&Ms definitely were most striking to me. Um, now I'm thinking of food because I'm, I'm getting hungry. But yes, thank you, Travis. Happy happy Christmas, Merry Holidays, and all, all that jazz until next time. And keep keep it up with uh, developing your jazz, jazz podcast because we're excited to see that uh, get off the ground. And our second email from Travis, also starting with, Hi, Alex and company. I just got finished watching the episode battle between the Ren and Stimpy episodes, Son of Stimpy and A Scooter for Yaxmas. Out of these two, I guess I would pick Son of Stimpy. Let's face it, that episode's gas. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. What do I enjoy most about gift-giving season for the holidays? Well, I enjoy giving the people I love gifts that I think they will not only enjoy, but possibly need as well. Plus, it's just fun. Thanks for all that you do for us Slimesters and Gagoids. Your, your, your contributions are greatly appreciated. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Stay gacky. Travis K. P.S. Let's take the gag back. Yeah, I agree, Travis. Son of Stimpy is a, is a, is a pretty gassy episode. <laughs> it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, good answer in terms of uh, stuff you enjoy for the holidays and that was a fun episode about the stand fold so thank you for chiming in and i know you love to talk to us every time we do a holiday episode so we'll see another letter next year depending on what we plan <laughs> all right slimesters it's time to start wrapping up the episode but before we can wrap it up we've got to have our closing question our closing question for the episode is what is something that you had a hard time saying goodbye to? 
write to us via email at splatattack2021 at gmail.com or you can DM us on Instagram or pretty much any other social platform there is at splatattackpodcast. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Splat Attack Podcast. If you already do, hit the like button, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Interact with us wherever you can find us on social media. We're pretty active. That being said, we cannot even begin to accurately express how grateful we are to all of you for taking the time to come out tonight to share such wonderful stories. Uh, our, our episodes are usually about two hours long, and we've, we've far exceeded that, so there's definitely going to be a lot of great Patreon content. But uh, truly, uh, every opportunity that we get to speak with any of you and get to meet new faces for us is truly an honor. And we thank you is not enough. It really is not. But thank you, all of you, with all of our hearts for taking the time to be here and share things with us. It means more than you guys know. Thank you so much. Absolutely, man. Thank the you. The pleasure thank is you, ours, thank my friend. You. And all the very best to you, Brett, and looking forward to seeing um, Alex. I know you're going to take Splat Attack on, and it's going to be amazing to follow it. So looking forward to it. All right. This was this was the the moment that uh, I was I was dreading getting to in this episode. But Brett, my my very dear friend, this yes. is a very special occasion with a very different goodbye. And I want to tell you, and I had to I I am reading this straight off the script because I've got to have all my thoughts out in front of me. I want to tell you that you have been an amazing co-host and a co-creator for this very special show that we've created together. I wish you nothing but the best as you venture out into your creative world and seek peace, love, creative fulfillment, and that special spark that comes from connecting with people. I have treasured getting to know you, hearing your stories, learning of your aspirations, and I look forward to the day that we will get to work together again. Yeah, where did the time go? It's like yesterday when I was doing Boy Television on Instagram and you did my fifth uh, watch party thing with Sam and he was just a little baby then. And, <laughs> oh gosh. Um, you send me the the Snick DVDs uh, to help me with the watch party and you know, giving me encouraging comments when I wanted to give up on my art when I posted uh, the Mr. Tasty Pete and Pete piece in Facebook. You know, you, I I did not expect getting to know you the way I got to know you. And boy, am I glad that I did. Um, you have so much joy, charisma, talents, passion. I mean, you're you're the complete package and in many senses. I I, I bounce you out. You're like the the yin to my yang, like Tommy is to Chucky, Doug is to Skeeter. You know, name any dynamic duo of 90s Nickelodeon, you name it, we were that. Um, and so it's it's gonna be hard to not go forward with you from here but i know it's something that i must do just like a, a cowboy riding off into the sunset because you know we we hint about it in season five overview and a little bit during the special announcement but i have big stories that i want to share with the world i'm i'm tired of living in a bubble in a shell and not not to say that this podcast has propagated that or perpetuated because no. definitely didn't but um you know when 
when um, Nick Caruso was talking about bullying, it just made me think about those deep memories of when I felt like I was not enough in life. And like, I'd missed the boat when I graduated from college because I had a very offbeaten path as an outcast um, while everyone else just seems to get along in the mainstream with their jobs and everything. And somehow I'm still alive after all the struggling I've endured the past decade or so, but I'm very hopeful um, that, you know, at least my efforts won't go unnoticed. I'll be able to make a, a story based off of my senior thesis film that will truly touch the hearts of all the anxious, depressed, downtrodden and lonely people out there in the world. And I can, I can bring a little light to them just like this episode brought a little light to all of us here on Splat Attack and those of you Slimesters and Gatcoids who are listening to. So I'll miss you greatly. I love you sincerely as a friend, as a, as another human being who, who just saw the good in me and gave me a chance through your olive branch of friendship. And I cannot thank you enough for all the great things that you've shown me we've done together and created together. And I wish you nothing but the best in creating Splat Attack Studios, getting that off the ground, giving Viacom the middle finger with your massive success. Please kick him in the butt for me. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that's just where we're going to leave that. I'm going to miss our guests, uh, our fans, especially, and our crew dearly, everyone that we've met along the way, of course, shout out to everyone who gets value out of what we do. That is worth more than all the, all the money in the world. So I, I, there's too many names for me to name. Just if you know me, if you care about talking to me or Alex, you know who you are. Thank you so much for making this a reality. Yeah, the love is is well received and well given. Mm-hmm. And you may not be around when Splat Attack Studios is fully built, but you will always be part of Splat Attack. The studio is built on solid foundations that you helped create. You are already missed, my dear friend. That being said, Splatulator Slimesters. And a very special splat you later to you, my dear friend. Yes. Splat you later, Slimesters and Gatcoids. One last time. I'm going to, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm, I'm taking off my Gatcoid shirt, retiring <laughs> it. Here it is. Team Gatcoid forever. Now I'm just a normal boy with extraordinary dreams and i'll uh i'll mail you my shirt so you can frame it in the studios but uh yeah i'm gonna just say from here one one last time splat you later slimesters and gatcoids it's been fun and uh you know times may change but we'll still have the memories in our hearts and our minds but don't be sad because you never know when there'll be another windy day Goodbye. It was really those couple of years around the early 90s where everything was just firing on all cylinders for Nickelodeon. And that's that's what people remember most about is that it was like the golden era where Nick is kids was the slogan and Geraldine Laybourne yep. was the president at the time who just yep. had this clear vision miles away where she saw that this was the perfect 
amalgamation of content for kids that they wanted. I, I really have just met you two guys. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I love you guys. <laughs> I always I always plug you guys because everybody that is watching this knows why you're here and these two are like the archive of Nickelodeon history. I'm actually going to take my shirt off. Turn into a different kind of podcast. Look at <laughs> I can't unsee um Wilkie as George Costanza and Middlemass as like Captain Crunch and like uh, <laughs> You know, you got all these weird cartoonish characters. I'm just piecing together in my mind. I'm like, oh, this does, this somehow diminishes this. Bleh. Somehow this diminishes the excitement and the thrill that I had perceived with child goggles on. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time talking tonight. Tripping on my tongue. Probably all those corn crinkles I ate before this episode. Must be. Yeah, it's making my tongue swell up. Honorable mentions I have for the ones that I had mentioned previously. Uh, about the dad and daughter at the restaurant and yeah, there was a couple others I had mentioned but I can't think of any more right now I, I think you guys are uh, doing a really great thing and how wonderful it must be for you guys to I mean we're just a drop in your bucket you guys have gotten to really put your uh, your face to face time with like, some really cool entities and uh, it, it, they've moved you in in your childhood and uh, in growing up uh, that's got just kudos for what you're doing all right well you have a lovely evening my friend you too bye bye Welcome Freshman is High School, Saturday at 5, 4 Central on Nickelodeon.